how was that period of that? That was the only sustained period of being separate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How was that? It was rough. You really, you really start to learn about a lot about yourself when you have to live life as a singleton. You have to live <laughs> life as an individual. Like, it's tough. It's crazy. It's like, very you're hard. You're stuck with your thoughts. You're like, you're. I became super insecure. Uh, I was not confident in my ability, nah. my abilities intellectually. Like it just became like this. It was I, yeah, I realized how much I leaned on my brother just for yeah. emotional and intellectual support. Yeah. Like when I was by myself, I was like, holy shit! I don't understand how people do this. Yeah. <laughs> Just live like an individual. <laughs> yeah, it's just too much work. It's yeah, like yeah. a burden. That's the Lucas brothers. They're twins named Kenny and Keith. They're two stand-up comedians slash philosophers who are brilliant and dry and hysterical. They're now part of Jimmy Fallon's Tonight Show, and they're working on a sitcom for CBS All Access. And they're doing another stand-up routine for HBO, and they already have one on Netflix that's called On Drugs because they smoke a lot of weed. And they're just awesome. So let's get into it. It's the Lucas Brothers on Toray Show. So who's Keith and who's Kenny? He's Keith. I'm Keith. And I'm Kenny. Okay. Yeah. What is the difference? In terms of personality or physically, yeah. Well, I mean, personality, (laughs) metaphysically. Uh, I mean, what would you say? I would say... Kenny was born first, so mm-hmm. yeah, it's five, five minutes, ten five minutes? minutes, five minutes. Yeah. Five so more I've minutes uh, I've taken on the five more minutes of wisdom. Precisely. I've taken on the the characteristics of the older brother, mm-hmm. <laughs> even though it Whatever doesn't it means. doesn't make any sense, right? Because I don't I don't five minutes is not significant, not at all. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think what are some differences. I mean, he's a little bit he's slightly bigger. Yeah, uh, slightly, I weigh a few like five few more pounds, pounds, five more pounds. Maybe. What about metaphysically? Metaphysically. I feel like we, we're pretty much in a, aligned philosophically. Yeah, I would say. I mean, for a while though, I, I, I would say I was more of a materialist, and he was more of an idealist, right? Mm, or the other was, way around. The other way around. I was more of an idealist, and he was more of a <laughs> yeah, yeah, or more of a pragmatist. I wouldn't yeah. say materialist. Yeah. I would say I was slightly more pragmatic, pragmatic and he was slightly more idealistic. But yeah. now we're starting to meet in the middle. Yeah. I mean, quite often. You know, brothers and sisters of all sorts, whether or not you're twins, you want to have some differentiating factor. Why? Why do you want that? Yeah, yeah. why? Yeah, because you want to assert who you are as a person. So right? we, we question that. Yeah. What do you we, mean? We question the uh, people trying to assert who they are because I feel like we're all interconnected. There's yeah. no such thing as the individual you. I think yeah. that that's just the concept. We're all made up of subatomic particles. We're all, you know, we all kind of live and then die. I mean, are we really that distinct aside from the the differences that we've created in our minds, like race, class? I mean, gender, I see stuff? what you're saying in that we are part of the community that we are part of, which is global and also local and cosmic, also hyper-local, cosmic, cosmic, cosmic yeah. all of that. But we do... Do we not have an intrinsic desire to be seen as unique in some way? I I'm mean, not, like, you guys see, get on stage. You're not saying, I'm just another person, just another cog in the machine. Just the act of, like, I get on stage, look at me. You're saying, I'm different than the rest of you human beings. Well, I don't know if it's intrinsic. That's the thing. I don't know if it's an, it's an intrinsic desire. It may be external forces pushing us to believe that we... Uh, need to define ourselves in this individualist, individualistic manner. Yeah, right? it could just be a byproduct of industrialization and capitalism that makes us believe that we're distinct. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if we've felt that way for all of, you know, 
human existence. Yeah. Like I know growing up, you know, my sister and I, she, we're not twins, but we're, we're Irish twins, right? <laughs> um, we, we wanted to seem different from each other. So if I was into X, then she was like, well, I'm not into that. Why? Yeah, because he likes it. So I need to be individual. And I wonder, there must be some point of differentiation where you're like, you know, Kenny does not like Call of Duty 3, but I do. Yeah. Just to have some point where I, ex- there must be some I find point that where the bizarre. Venn diagram does it's not like, overlap. I find that bizarre. I think like if you like it, you like it. Like you shouldn't want to differentiate differentiate yourself simply because it's something that you can do. Like we all eat food. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, why do we have like how far does it go? Like how how far do we go in terms of trying to differentiate ourselves from the next person when in reality we're all pretty much the same we're all pretty much the same there, i mean there are very few i mean if you looked at it at a on a subatomic level there there are very few differences and so i think that we have a yearning to differentiate ourselves from one another because it's something that's kind of forced upon us yeah uh, we get genders, we get race, we get a name, we get a name, we get a social security number. We social, it's like so we find ways to make ourselves different. When in reality, we're kind of the same. Yeah. So often in your comedy, for me at least, the the laugh point is when one of you does. What do you call it? Like yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah, what, yeah, what, yeah, what would you even call that? I would call it the the hype man. You know, the you see it in hip hop yes. a lot. You yeah. see the person who sort of hypes the uh the mc up and i, I think we've sort of uh, adopted that style because it, i mean it's, it's somewhat unique i suppose but it also allows for us to i don't know help each other out while we're on stage I mean, yeah. why do you why i mean you must have a philosophy on why am i and others finding that funny that you're spitting your actual game and then you're just like that's right and that's <laughs> nah, funny that, that, that's right isn't even funny no. but you're like that's, that's right and it's, it's just because you said that's right like yeah. it's so funny is it the timing is it the... i think it's timing i think it's, it's you you don't really it's something you don't really see often in comedy so it could be the it could be the uniqueness of it that that makes people uh laugh uh what do you think it's I don't silly know. it's just it silly. is silly guys it's two grown men dressed like <laughs> talking at the same time it's ridiculous uh but it's funny it just not specific to you, but what makes something funny? Why do I laugh at this joke and not that joke? Why do I laugh at there, this there point of the joke of and not that point? That. There are yeah. a lot of theories on why people laugh. I mean, some people laugh at the the incongruity of uh, of jokes, mm-hmm. like, you know, setting up something to go one way yeah. and then break, like, violating that supposed norm. Which uh, Jeselnik does yeah. precisely. very Jeselnik. well. Yeah, yeah. So you don't expect of, where yeah. he's going to go. He relies heavily on the incongruity, but also uh, there's just like silly things what people see, like slipping on a banana peel. You laugh at that. There's yeah, like, that's why Instagram's so popular because it, it really, they don't really like write out their jokes and it's not like, you know, you know formalized, but it's funny because it's silly and mm-hmm. it's it's like bodily and physical. I don't know. Why do you? It's laugh? a very complex thing. It's a. It's a. It's a very complex. Like, what, what is consciousness? Why do people laugh? We don't really, truly, truly, truly understand. I mean, there, there's a multitude of reasons why people laugh. Uh, I don't know why I laugh. I mean, I laugh at certain I laugh at jokes. Like, I thought I John Witherspoon was hilarious. Mm-hmm. I always laughed at him. I think. Yeah. I, yeah. Why did he make me laugh? Yeah. Why did John Witherspoon did make John a lot of people laugh? Witherspoon was great, like a Bernie Mac. Oh yeah. That mm-hmm. Just. The voice, yeah. Yep. He could just say hello, yeah, and you would laugh, yeah. Um, 
Whereas, you know, other comics got to do the work and mm-hmm. make a joke, yeah. and then you laugh at the intellectual work. Yeah, sure. I mean, he created a great comedic character that you could just fit, in, I mean, you can just put in any situation, yeah. and it would be funny. I mean, he wasn't really stylistically different in any of the roles he, he, he was in, but yeah. because that character was so funny... Uh, and it took him years to figure out that character. Like, oh, yeah. He had been on a scene in, in L.A. for a number of years, and then he just finally figured it all out, and then the character was portable across mediums. I felt like he him. was old for 50 years, you know? <laughs> like, it felt like he was an old man for 50 years. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. It, he just needed time to evolve to that character. Yeah, to, yeah, yeah. To, Aren't you know? old comedians sort of doing a character? I think so. A ver- oh yeah. So you're doing a version of yourselves on stage, a heightened version. Yeah. yeah. I, I would. I wouldn't even say it's too close to who we are off stage. I mean, it's certainly just a. It's like wrestling almost. You create this character. Yeah. And yeah. you you try to you know make it close, not close, but somewhat like who you are, who you want to be. Yeah. I mean, in, if in a gonna, heightened sense, if you're going to be on stage every night, it better be close to you, right? Like it can't be completely divergent. Unless, I mean, then you have to be oh. a real actor, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it really depends. I mean, it depends on which, uh, what I you're going off stage, for. I'm not as, like, calm and, and casual. I'm, not, I'm certainly not as funny. I think I'm more <laughs> neurotic. I, it's just weird. I, I feel like the person I play on stage and on TV and stuff like that is different from who I am in real life. For sure. Yeah. I, I would say there are some, 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 some differences, uh, without a doubt. I mean, I already see the the dryness and the drollness yeah, yeah, yeah. that we get on stage starts to fade away as we have just a natural conversation. Sure, absolutely. Sure. I mean, I, I think trying to... it's more planned. Like mm-hmm. it's like you got the joke and you rehearse it and you and you try it on stage across the country or across the world, and it's like you get you get a certain rhythm. But now, see, like Chris Rock, for example, he's more of when he's on stage, he's. He feels more like a like a southern preacher. He's bombastic, know? yeah. He's bombastic. He's he's screaming at you. But when he's off stage, he's very very low key. And yeah, yeah. or even Chappelle for that matter. That's These right. guys are very very low key off stage. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're like they're almost like conserving their energy for the stage. Sure. <laughs> and it's it that is honestly who Rock is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But he, you know, I interviewed Cat Williams once, and it really threw me off because he was very low energy. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, I expected. Yeah. You know, way up here, and you come in, and you're basically like, he was very professional, mm-hmm. but I was like, you are are you okay? Are you tired? <laughs> like, what's going on? You know, and I was I was thrown off. It was hard. You know, it's not. You know, whereas I I when I meet uh, when I see Sarah Silverman, she seems much closer to mm. the person on stage, off stage. Hmm. Some people, I mean, yeah, some people want. I think they they stay in character for the most part, uh, mm, yeah. whereas some people are willing to just turn it off. Because you got a guy like Cat, he's doing you know he was doing stadiums at the height, and he'll probably get back to that at some point. But like he had to like really bring it, rock the stadium, so you have to bring it like, like a rock star. Almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're literally like, performing like a rock star, and I guess you just can't be like that twenty four seven for yeah. some for some comedians. You guys like Stephen Wright. <laughs> Yeah. He's, yeah, yeah, he was a legend. Right. He's a legend. Yeah. He destroyed. He's a legend. Clever writer, a clever performer. Just great. Mm-hmm. Really, really smart. Yeah. Who are some of the folks who you? I know you've talked about the Sklar brothers mm-hmm. are influences. Yeah. Stephen Wright seems to me a clear influence. Sure. Who else? So many. I mean, yeah. uh, Chris Rock, obviously, Chappelle, yeah. uh, Wanda Sykes. Uh, who who else? Who Larry say? David. Larry David. Yeah. Gary Seinfeld. Yeah. Yeah. Seinfeld. Um, 
I like Tina Fey. Tina Fey's like great. writing. Great writing. Uh, Gary Shandling. Yeah. Mm, who else? Who else did we? Martin Lawrence. <laughs> see, I see you a lot different than a lot of the folks you mentioned. And I find it interesting when you talk about the destruction of the ego, right? Huh. Or the egocentric presentation. Yeah. Because especially the comedy that, I'm a little older than you, but the comedy that we all sort of grew up watching, especially the superstar black comic, mm-hmm. Eddie Murphy, you know, and then Chris Rock yep. and then Chappelle. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, obviously playing off of the 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 influence of Pryor. Yeah, be sure. And it's very much like, I am brilliant. I'm not a clown. I'm an alpha. Mm-hmm. I'm going to stand here and spit my brilliance. Yeah. And you're going to laugh. And sure. yes, we did all that. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of white comics are like, I'm a clown of some sort. And the black, these black comics are like, no. Well, I think that's and, a, a byproduct of uh, Hollywood. Like, in Hollywood, as a white comic, you just have more range. You're not, you don't, mm. you're not limited to just like this one spot. And you you can see a, a Seth Rogen, a Jonah Hill, uh, you know, Stephen Curry. You know what I mean? Yeah, you yeah. just have a, a plethora of opportunities as a, a white comic. Whereas for a while, black comics were literally, literally limited to one spot. Yeah, step and you effect. had the one superstar cut comic, and then everyone else was getting maybe supporting roles, maybe guest spots. You couldn't like transcend and become a superstar. But now I think that that's being broken down a lot more. I think you're ha- you're getting a situation where you're getting more black black comics have an opportunity to show to sh- sort of show their range. Mm-hmm. What was the desire in you to break down the ego presentation, right? Which we right, said it was like, I am brilliant. Mm-hmm. I am alpha. Well, it's not I, realistic. It's, it, well, sorry. Also, our shared experience. I mean, growing up as twins, we we always had to share. We've never really been referred to as, or I never really referred to myself as, as in, a, in an I situation. It was always been we. Yeah. And so I think our experience sort of took us away from presenting ourselves in such an egocentric way. Uh, and, you know, we sort of rejected the, the individualistic manner of how stand-ups present themselves because, again, we were a duo. Yeah. Um, I think so. And I think it also, like, if you want to do comedy that's I don't want to be sweeping but I think if you want to touch into more emotionally honest comedy you have to question the uh, you know the role of the ego like you have to question yourself and you have to say okay I'm not perfect I I, I do make mistakes and I want to share that with the audience I don't want to have to pretend to be someone I'm not you know what I mean I want to be able to talk about addiction and I want to be able to talk about failures and I think uh, certain uh, forms of comedy don't allow for you to really delve into that stuff, the, the, the emotionally messy stuff. And I, I think that um, that was sort of an inclination to sort of move in a different direction. Mm. So how do you write? How do you create? What does that look like? Well, I mean, normally it, it's uh, it's very open and free-flowing. We, we wake up in the morning and we'll, we'll just start talking. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about whatever uh, politics or what's going on in our lives. And Thank God for Google Docs. Google Docs say, is uh, the greatest. We'll do a plug for Google Docs. for us to just sort of write our ideas out uh, and share them uh, throughout the day. But uh, it's a very free-flowing process. We try to just, like, uh, communicate with each other often. Mm-hmm. And if we're laughing at something, we'll try to... T- turn that into a joke yeah so for example we take sharp james he was the mayor of newark for a long time we, yeah. we just we'll, we will just talk about him yeah and uh, we're like oh, we need a joke about sharp james i think that'll work into our set so mm-hmm. we'll talk and talk and talk and riff 
And then one of us will go off and just try to write out a joke, mm -hmm. the, the semblance of a joke. Yeah. So I wrote out this bit that I was just trying to work out. And then he looked at it and said, I don't know if that punchline works. And he tweaks it. And mm -hmm. then we just try it on stage to yeah. see if it works. Yeah. But that's just stand up. When it comes to like screenwriting, um, you want to. It's also similar. We'll map out, like for our set, let's say we're doing a one hour set and we want it to be a narrative. It'll be, we'll break it down into four acts. It'll be 15 minutes per act. And uh, we try to plug in where we think we need jokes. And then once we feel like we have a complete piece, we'll say, okay, we're ready to try to get money for it. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> for like a same thing with a pilot or a TV, I mean, or a film script, we'll break it down into acts. So if a movie's what, two hours, that'll be 40 beats per film. Mm -hmm. right? 40 to 60. 40 to 60 beats. And then we'll try, we'll, uh, try to work out the skeleton of the film and then we'll, Go to each. We'll work on beats individually and try to make it a full scene, and then we'll go off and write. Mm -hmm. It's pretty much that. Yeah, I mean, we we try to just uh, we communicate often, and we try to you know we share ideas as often as possible, yeah. and it's a lot of research, a lot of research, and yeah. uh, we we try not to be precious about our ideas. It's no. like whatever whatever we think works the best, we we put it, and we don't. We tr again, we try not to have we an ego about We used to fight it. a lot about shit. When we first started. When we first started. Mm -hmm. But now we don't give a shit. Like, no, it's like no. We trust each other. and We fought about whose fought, ideas. Fought about whose ideas. ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We started to buy into this. I mean, when we, we separated for law school and, you know, for the first time I was referred to by my first name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that I, I started to develop a bit of an ego. Yeah. And so when we got into comedy, I still had that ego. He Same. still had his ego. And as we, you know, uh, worked a little bit more and closer with one another, that the ego started to shed again. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. 
Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcast that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. Influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. Yeah. How was that period? Wait, who went to Duke? I went to Duke. And you went to well, NYU. Keith went, went to, to NYU, yeah. How was that period of, that, that was the only sustained period of being separate? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How was that? It was rough. You really, you really start to learn about, a lot about yourself when you have to live life as a singleton. And you have to live <laughs> life as an individual. Like, it's tough. It's crazy. It's it. very like, hard. You're just stuck with your thoughts. You're like, you're, I became super insecure. Uh, I was not confident in my ability, nah. my abilities intellectually. Like it just became like this. It was I, yeah, I realized how much like I used to, I leaned on my brother just for yeah. emotional and intellectual support. Yeah. Like when I was by myself, I was like, holy shit, this is. I don't understand how I don't understand how people do this. Yeah, just, <laughs> just live like an individual. Yeah, it's just yeah, too much yeah, work. It's yeah, like yeah. a burden. But when you're with your brother, it's like you wake up in the morning. and It's like oh, I instantly have a partner. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I sort of I sort of understood why people want to get married and find wives. It's like oh, yeah, they just yeah. want that partner. Yeah, to share some of the burden of existence with. Yeah, are you together like twenty four seven? We spend a lot of time a, together. An yeah. unhealthy amount of time. Yeah. Together, <laughs> I would say we we say it's because of work, but it's probably because we're afraid to live lives as individuals. For sure, yeah. Afraid, like thinking back to the law school period of like, eh, that was. Yeah, it's, this it's, is better. Yeah, it's like imagine having your best friend with you at all times. Mm-hmm. It's pretty dope. It's yeah, like, yeah, it's like it's like it's it's just a dope experience and. We're trying to maximize that because there's going to be a moment in time when we don't have each other. So yeah, yeah. we don't want to live life with that regret. Mm-hmm. So I'd rather just ma- maximize my time with my brother. Yeah, Ooh. try to fo- like fo- fo- force our lifestyle on people who might want to <laughs> join in. <laughs> when was the last time that you had a real fight? That's a great question. Yeah, like a real, real fight. Maybe mm-hmm. like a physical fight or just a... Uh, well, I meant intellectually but like you know sure also i mean have there been like there have been physical fights <laughs> but uh our last intellectual fight was i don't even mean like i disagree with you about descartes mm-hmm. but just like <laughs> keith i'm really mad at you that you did this you said that and like well can he fuck you i would say i think it was in la la for and sure when we were in la we were like debating whether or not we should come back to new york mm-hmm. i was of the position that we should stay in la and, and i disagreed and he wanted to go to new york and we we sort of like had to go back and forth on why we you know we, we really had to like break down what were the advantages of staying in la versus what were the advantages of coming back to new york i had always missed new york and i, I never i never wanted to stay in la for the rest of my life but i felt like there was some unfinished business so but that might have just yeah. been me. I would say 2016. We we had some 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 really really uh, big disagreements just on like where we wanted to go with our careers and if we wanted to stay uh, in LA and just how we wanted to proceed with you know what we were doing. So mm-hmm. I would say 2016 we got into some big fights. 
When was the last physical fight? 2016. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But we were like, we were doing drugs up. and yeah, drinking, yeah. and yeah, yeah. it was a lot of just um, a lot of mental health issues and substance abuse yeah. issues that I think that just makes you erratic. We never really addressed yeah. growing up, so it all sort of came out while we were in LA, and uh, yeah, we started getting into a lot of fights. Not yeah. too many f- physical fights, well, but a lot of, like, we would go days without like, not talking to one another. Mm-hmm. I'm just like drinking in my room alone. Like I hate that guy. I mean, and it could have. <laughs> but I really hated myself. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, 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 yeah, that was that was a tough year mm-hmm. for sure, without a doubt. Just to be real petty, what happened in the fight and like in the fist fight? Well, we're always. I mean, we we tend to be very cognizant that like, look, you can't hurt. We, the we face. can't hurt the face. <laughs> it's the money maker. It's, it's the money maker. So it's all so body shots. The so it's a lot of body shots. <laughs> a lot of headlocks. Uh, we wrestled uh, in high school, so we go back to our old. It's it's yeah. more wrestling than it's more, more wrestling, wrestling than, than yeah. yeah, we try not to get too physical. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, you know, it, it can get it can get uh, intense. But it's been a while since 2016. It's been. I mean, if you're together 24 seven, yeah, yeah. If I was with my best friend. All the time, I think we would probably get into a melee, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, at least once a month. No, that makes yeah. sense. I mean, you spend enough time with people, you're like, I got to I'm just, it. I'm just sick of you that you are always here and yeah. I need to, you know. Yeah. We compliment each other pretty well. Yeah. And I think we got therapy for the first time in 2016, so our, our fights have diminished uh, Yeah, we went sober and then we got therapy, we started meditating, and then everything sort of just like yeah. got chill. Yeah. yeah. So how's the therapy going? Therapy's great. Therapy's great. I mean, it's like... Uh, together for, or separate? For, well, we started off getting it together. And we're like, this is probably not going to work. Mm-hmm. So then we separated. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we, we've done both. And the first time we did it, we were 31 years old. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's so much we, you just we just didn't unpack. We mm-hmm. didn't, we just decided not to talk about it. We buried it deep, deeply yeah. into our subconscious, our yeah. unconscious. I refuse to talk about a lot of shit. Like, mm-hmm. it's... I just drink my pain away, but uh, <laughs> or smoke it. Away. Or smoke it. A lot away. of a lot of weed smoke. Yeah. I used to think I was above. I was above therapy. Like I didn't. I don't need this. Shit. You know what I mean? Because I don't know. In the hood, it's like people don't go to therapy. It's not for no, black. It's, it's not, not for black. It's not for us. It, it, it is. It is. But it that is, is the, the stereotype. <laughs> totally agree. It's not for us, that's some white shit. Yeah. Precisely. But there's a lot of value in for us as for anybody. Just anybody. talking about some yeah. shit. It's like talking about the shit that that impacted you. The Do trauma. You have a black therapist. Yes. Yeah. In LA, and, we had a black therapist. And and have you had both? I had, had a, black and I had white. And I, I had, had a Asian few. lady. Too. And has it made a difference having a black therapist? Without no? a doubt. Yeah. I think so. I think a black therapist. I mean, I don't know. I just feel like it's, it's a black guy. And he, I just felt like he better understood uh, what we were going through. Maybe I'm wrong, but it just felt like yeah. I was a little bit more open. Yeah. You feel a little more connected. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You feel like you can talk to him. Cause he, I just wasn't therapist and i was trying to talk about you know my own marijuana addiction and she's an older white lady and she kept calling it reefer <laughs> <laughs> and it would sort of take me out of the moment like, oh you know she doesn't smoke weed <laughs> not, at all, not at all and i kept trying to be like you know it's, it's we don't call it reefer yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And she just could not remember <laughs> and, that's crazy right and it kind of broke the whole like you're in this moment yeah, yeah, of like yeah, yeah. so you know i'm smoking yeah weed you're just slightly time. more reserved when when it's not a person of color and yeah I don't know, at least that's how it was yeah uh, it took a while to to get comfortable yeah but yeah. With, a, with a black dude i just let it all out the first day so, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's know. also like it's hard to talk about racism when when your therapist yep. is you know what i mean because like yep. sometimes you're thinking they're kind of a part of the problem i don't know if they're like <laughs> i don't know if they truly understand like how understand. serious this shit is 
But at the Maybe same time, she'll like, be like, was it all in your mind? Like, <laughs> oh, now you're doing it to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. But then I'm also of, of the mind, like, how, like, can you separate the the observer from the observed? You know, like, we're, we're all, you know, like, on a quantum level, it's like, can you really, like, are they, are they really, like, independent from us and objective? Can they ever be objective? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, are, they're always going to, like, include some subjectivity in their analysis. So I'm always, like, uncomfortable with that, especially if it's not a person of color. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Meditation? Yeah. Has it helped? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Greatest shit. Oh, yeah. What do you do in twice a day? I do do it in the morning and at night. night, Yeah. Together? No, No, not together. We do it separately. 20 minutes, 30 minutes? What do you do? I do do? about 15 minutes. I do 10, 15. Yeah. Yeah. And And then some exercise in the middle of the day. Just, just, you know, little things like that. Maybe not little things, but things like that just to... Get your mind off the mind. I started yeah. praying a little bit more too. Praying I used to pray sure. a lot when I was a kid. Like I was a like fun, sort of a fundamentalist Christian when I was born up until about like eighteen. I was a when Baptist. We went to college and we went to college. Everything philosophy. started changing. <laughs> yeah, philosophy made me a fucking atheist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you abandoned atheism and believed in God again. I I've abandoned atheism, atheism completely. I think it's wrong. I think there is some sort of higher being out there i don't i don't know if it's god or if it's some sort of cosmic intelligence or i don't know if maybe it's like a kid sitting in this computer in like a fifth dimensional reality i have no idea what it is but i think there is something out there was there a moment that you said like there must be something started reading uh david bohm yeah the the quantum physicist okay yeah he he sort of synthesized spirituality with with Quantum, quantum physics, physics and philosophy. Yeah. And he he put it all together. I was like, wait a second, maybe he's on to something. Yeah. Maybe maybe there is a deeper uh a deeper uh, meaning to all of this yeah. because he's trying to understand consciousness. And to him it's like, well, what is this thing we call consciousness? Yeah. It doesn't feel like it's just a physical thing yeah. that's a part of the brain. It feels like it's something a little bit more cosmic. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just I I just like the way he um Yeah, he he talks about the ancients he talks mm-hmm. about uh democritus and um the the stoics yep. and he connects and it Parmenides. all with Parmenides and he connects it to einstein newton and he said you had the same journey in terms of being atheist and then abandoning that for the most of part Bohm? for the most part at yeah. the same time well i mean he started reading Bohm, yeah and i was already questioning atheism i it's just too rigid of, mm. a, of a philosophy yeah. it's too it's almost like fundamental uh, it's almost like Christianity sometimes where it's like, I know there's nothing. I'm yeah. like, how do you know this? How do yeah. you know that there's nothing? You yeah. know what I mean? Like anyone who's sort of fervent about their beliefs, I start to question. And I've always had a, uh, I've always questioned people who were too fervent about their beliefs. And then he stumbled upon bone. Yeah. And that just answered a lot of questions for me by raising more questions, but certainly, uh, 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 connecting physics with uh, spirituality, which I had never seen done before. Yeah. The clarity in which he writes, I think, is I mean, I had a similar moment, I think, in that I was flirting with the notion of atheism. Mm-hmm. I think I was a little bit more agnostic yeah. or in between agnosticism and atheism. And I never believed there was nothing. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I was definitely adjacent like those people have a point like, sure like who knows yeah and then um <clears throat> i was doing this show where they had me doing crazy shit that's the whole <laughs> show mm-hmm. and they said okay we're gonna go skydiving and they pushed me out of the plane and four thousand feet up the you know the parachute comes out 
and it's so peaceful. You ever been skydiving? Never, Never been skydiving. Oh so, is it great? It's amazing. Yeah. And it's so peaceful. Dope. And the chute explodes and it's so deeply silent. And mm. you have such a perspective on the world. Like the biggest building looks like an ant mm. to us. And to be able to see the world from that perspective, I'm like, it's so large. Mm. Yeah. There must be some guiding consciousness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something bigger than us that has shaped. And is it a man who's going, you win, you yeah, lose? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. Probably, Probably not. <laughs> but it, there's some force larger than us. And just the world is so big. Mm-hmm. And intricate. It's an intricate. Yeah, it's yeah. silly to think it's just us. Yeah. <laughs> and and it was like this moment sort of came to me like in the air, like 4,000 feet above the earth. Like there must be something more than us. And yeah. I was like, okay, now I am 100% certain that the atheists are wrong. There must be something. I don't know what it is. Yeah. And I don't know if, you know, the Christians are right or the Muslims are right or yeah, the yeah. Jews or yeah. whoever... But there's something. Yeah. Feels like there's something. Yeah. Uh, it's it's like, such a, like the intricacies behind the universe is like a fabric that's stitched together almost perfectly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not making an argument for intelligent design. I don't know what that is, but I, I it just feels too perfect. Yeah. I don't know. Um, where's your dad now? He's in Newark. He's in Newark, New Jersey. Newark, New is Jersey. he part of your life? Yeah. 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 yeah we talked to him. He's uh, he's he has a boxing gym. Yeah. In Newark, uh, he's he's training the youth, mm-hmm. and uh, he's a, he's a good dude. He was away for a long time. He went to prison for fifteen years. Mm-hmm. You talk about this in the act, so yeah, it's nothing, yeah. nothing new. Um, how how did that? You make a joke about how it affected you, but how did it really affect you having him away for fifteen? Terrible. Years? It was so, awful. What was the ages that he was away? He was. We were six when he got locked up. Yeah, and uh, he he got out when we were in our twenties. But it was. It was awful because he was a good dude. He was yeah. a good father. You know what I mean? Like he wasn't to the to the law. He was a criminal, but to us, he was just a great dad. He would yeah. take us to the movies. Yeah. He took us to New York for the first time. Uh, yeah. He was just a silly, playful dude. And, yeah, like uh, like imagine loving something, and then one day you wake up and he's gone, and you're like, "Fuck!" What? It's not. He's not dead, but he's still <laughs> here. It's just like it fucks with your mind as a kid because it's like he's here, but he's not here. Yeah. At least with death, it's like it's finality. You learn. You, you're you. The grieving process, you can start to sort of, you know, begin it and work your way out of it. But and when you can he, romanticize something. Yeah, 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 romanticize yeah, yeah. It. Exactly. It's like we got, te- it was like a tease. We got our dad for just a short period of time and it was great. And then he was gone. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, holy shit, like, what do we do now? Yeah, did you yeah. go see him? Yeah, we did. But, but that's, that's, that's weird. strange being six and going to a prison. Like, yeah. The first major institution that you see is a prison. Yeah. It's like, that's just, it fucks with your mind. Because yeah. it's not the same person that you remember outside of prison. He's mm-hmm. a different person. He's wearing the same uniform as everyone else. Mm-hmm. He's not as happy, obviously. <laughs> of course. He's obsessed, of course. He's upset. It, yeah. It's like, the, it's a rigid process. It's like, you have to, you have to go through three or five different waiting rooms. Mm-hmm. And then you get there, you get 10 minutes, yeah. 15 minutes. I mean, it's like an hour, but it feels like 15 minutes. Yeah. And then everything sort of controlled. You can't really like, it, it's not the people, way you should interact police with police officer with guns. Yeah, with like fucking AK-47 just walking around. I mean, like, all of that. Is this? And plus, <laughs> like when you interact with prison and you see, like, they've created these rules mm-hmm. that are just to fuck with the inmates. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You can't walk here. Mm-hmm. Why not? Because we want you to walk this other way. Right? Yeah. There's the line that, like, you cannot, you just can't reach the vending machine. Yep. And it's just to make the prison experience as, as uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's then, not just fucking with the prisoners. It's fucking with the kids. Yeah. I mean, the kids... 
get it get it even worse. I mean, yeah. it's like you you have to be in this environment and it's terrifying. Yeah. And the shame. Like that's that's the one thing that they never really, really speak about for kids. You feel so much shame when your dad's gone. Like it's I think it's even more shameful than your dad just leaving the family because it's like not only is he gone, but he got arrested. He's a criminal. It's like you gotta deal with that burden. So we used to like make up reasons for why our dad was gone. Like he joined the military or he's a professional wrestler or he's <laughs> on the road all the time. We would lie to our our teachers just so that because okay, they'll ask you that question like uh, so what do your parents do yeah they always ask you that questions in the, when you have to take the standardized tests like what do your parents do and they're like what the what? We well, he's a career criminal uh, he's in prison now uh, and that's what he did it does I don't know yeah I don't know it's just it was just they, they find the government finds ways to to fuck with with children of prisoners I mean you know you, a lot of people um, whose fathers go away end up going down that road yeah mm-hmm. How'd you have, and Newark was, is, <laughs> is. very, very difficult. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, how'd you escape that road? Um, we had a great mom. Mm-hmm. I mean, our mom she worked stayed three on jobs, made sure that we hit the books and made sure that we uh, took education very seriously. Yeah. She was always on us about drugs, about just everything. Mm-hmm. And she was, uh, she was our rock. I mean, without her, I don't know where we would be. Absolutely, honestly. and she, not just our mom. We had we also had aunts. Yeah, uh, our our great. I mean, our uh, great aunt. And a lot our, of strong women. A lot of strong women just <laughs> yeah. protected us. They yeah. just made sure that we were not out there. And yep. they just stayed on us, and they made sure we went to church. They made mm-hmm. sure we went to class, uh, and they made sure we uh, achieved. And they just they just pushed us. I, got, to, I think because they knew in, intrinsically probably that if we. Went and we had the propensity to perhaps, you know, go down that go route. down that route like our father because they saw it happen to him. He wasn't a bad guy. He mm-hmm. was a very smart guy. He was very artistic. He was a hippie, but he didn't have any money. He had two kids. He's like, fuck it, I can get a quick buck selling and helping a drug dealer. And then one thing led to another, and then that was it. It's just like that in America. Like if you don't have the means to support your family and you decide to do something that's contrary to what you're supposed to do, you can end up... Which in- is arbitrary if you think about it. Laws are very arbitrary. Now people are selling weed, weed and, they, and you know, they're making billions of dollars. It's a billion mm-hmm. dollar industry. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when an African-American guy does it, it becomes a crime. Well, yeah. David Simon talks about the notion of, like, you know, the, the, the company town, right? Mm-hmm. In certain places like a Baltimore, Newark, you know, maybe the east side of Detroit, etc., this is the main industry, Precisely. especially the main industry for younger black guys. Without a doubt. And you can either be poor or like remember Calvin who worked at McDonald's, yeah, right? Yeah, who barely yeah. was on minimum wage. Yeah. Or you could be comfortable. And I'm not even talking about the the, the myth of the teenage millionaire, right? Because mm-hmm. that's rare. But you yeah. could be you could have a comfortable job selling a little something. Steady income. It's steady income, you know, help out at home, whatever, whatever. And to turn your back on that when pretty much most of the people your age around you are doing that absolutely is very hard. It's tough. It's tough, especially if there are no other jobs in the area hiring young black guys. It's like, what the fuck are you going to do? And then you see pharmaceutical companies selling drugs and causing epidemics, making billions of dollars and not seeing any jail time. It's like... That just fucking distorts your perception of what criminal justice is mm-hmm. and what you can do as a young black guy. It's like we're they're literally putting their lives on the line for the money. I mean, they're getting killed at rates that are 
fucking staggering just to sell drugs. So it's not like they, it's a, a glamorous job. Mm-hmm. It's something or risk-free. I mean, there's so many risks yeah. that, that, that comes with it. So, I mean, I was late to smoking weed. I didn't mm-hmm. start smoking weed until I got to college mm. because I was very self-righteous <laughs> in high school of like, this is bad for our community. Yeah. It's hurting yeah, our yeah. community. So yeah. I don't want to be partaking in yeah. that, right? Yeah. And then had a similar, similar yeah. was Like, oh, this is good. <laughs> <laughs> right? So you guys had like firsthand experience of the challenges, the difficulty, the war on drugs is in the home for you, yeah. mm-hmm. right? So when does it turn just like, well, I mean, you know, like I could be a stoner, like, yeah. you know, and, and mom awesome. and the aunts are like, don't ever sell yeah. and look what happened to dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But but I could be a customer. That's <laughs> cool. Like when when did that happen? It was law school. Law school. Law school. That's when you started smoking That's weed. When I in started law breaking the law. Yeah, yeah. Weren't, you, weren't you weren't you busy enough? I mean, uh, you, it's the stress, the stress dude. I mean, law school is it's uh, hell. Hell. It's it's and you see all the other kids like and everybody's Adderall, doing drugs in law Coke, school, man. Uh, drinking, drinking, everyone's doing it. So I'm like, all right, yeah, I'm doing I got my first, I smoked my first joint in law school. Yeah. You know, and I was like, how do these motherfuckers not? What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E Market. Dot com slash thrivemarket.com slash On March 16, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alamine, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. As stressed out as I am right yeah. now. And, you know, they were smoking weed. They were, yeah. It took the edge off. Yeah. I mean, the shit was intense, yeah. especially that first year. I mean, the first year is like, yeah, yeah. Your, your entire life. First year they kill you. Oh, man. For this. I mean, if you, you, it's, it's killed or be killed. Mm-hmm. It's like boot camp and it's... People were smoking weed just to, to, to alleviate some of the stress. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, I started smoking weed then. Yeah. Started breaking the law in law school. <laughs> <laughs> it's a perfect time to do it. <laughs> nah, it. So then you kept on. I mean, when you get out of law school and you're doing comedy, and, and I say get out, you know, uh, advisedly, because you mm-hmm. dropped out of mm-hmm. law school right before the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you get into comedy. Comedy is... I assume not nearly as stressful or a different kind, a different kind of stress. You know, it's a different kind of stress. Yeah. But what 
with comedy, you get to laugh some of that stress off. That's right. And when with law school, there's no punchline. Yeah. It's just like, it's all set up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of set up with a punchline. So, so how then, I mean, did, do you then justify it of like, hey, we're comedians. This is the life. This is part of this this world. Well, we started to cultivate these characters, these mm-hmm. stoners. And, and, you know, like we didn't, we smoked weed. But, you know, when you cultivate, cultivate a stoner character, mm-hmm. I don't know. If, it's almost as if like, as we we justified the character by doing more drugs, yeah, and we, we had just... to prove that we were truly stoners, <laughs> yeah. But it was probably a, a confluence of things happening. We were going through depression because of law school. We dropped PTSD. out. We had the PTSD of growing up in the hood and having our father leave us. It was probably like just a confluence of things happening at once. And then you know the stoner characters were being cultivated, and before you know it, the floodgates were open. You're fucking drinking, you're smoking, you're staying out too late, you're doing all types of drugs, and you're just like, fuck, how the fuck did this happen? Mm-hmm. I was I was a a Christian boy a couple of years ago, and I wouldn't I didn't do shit. Law mm-hmm. school teetotaler. Yeah. yeah, I was that, and I was, now yeah. I'm not that, and I couldn't even like. It was it was almost out of body. Uh, like I see myself going down this path, and I'm like, I'm not stopping myself. Do I want to die? Like do am I like yeah, am I there ready was for certainly death? nihilism. There yeah, was yeah. certainly a nihilism creeping in. That's yeah. always sort of been on the surface, but it became a little bit more full blown as we became comedians. Yeah, uh, because that sort of that's, we had rejected God. Mm-hmm. We had embraced atheism. We had embraced drug materialism. Usage, materialism. And it's like you just see yourself going down this path of destruction. And you're like, something's gonna, something has to give. And yeah. yet at the same time, the career is progressing upward? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Upward. The more It seems as if the more destructive we got, the the better our careers were, yeah. were becoming. It's, yeah. It was a strange... How long were you dying before you started to be like, yo, we're good at this? <sighs> You mean in terms of dying on stage? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, the first... Because you can't not fail at oh, the yeah. beginning of a we comedy were, I, I would break. say, like, our our jokes were pretty average, but the, the spectacle of being twins sort of, I don't know, made mm-hmm. people just like, holy shit, this is definitely different and unique. And that mm-hmm. helped us out early on. I would say we didn't really get decent until this year <laughs> yeah wait a minute yeah. wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute how long between the end of law school and 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 the lucas brothers moving company mm-hmm. show three years that's three years very fast three years because yeah. created... that's where i found you guys yeah, i don't yeah. know how i found that show flipping the channels <laughs> saturday night we came cut. on like 11 yeah, 30 yeah, 12 yeah, o'clock yeah, saturday night yeah. right? snl sucked <laughs> right like you know it sucks all the time but it sucked that night oh wait it's an animated show with two black guys yeah, from brooklyn yeah, yeah. like they're stoners i mean there was so so much was like yo this is like me of yeah, like brooklyn stoners yeah. like they're intellectual like yeah. Yeah. Yo, this is my shit right yeah, now. Yeah, like, was, I love these dudes. That is incredibly rapid th- to go from starting to getting on TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was three years in. And, and it, it was, seemed like a fully formed persona mm-hmm. on the show. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, that was the character that we we, we created. Mm-hmm. And uh, it somehow it got on TV. I don't. I mean, I, again, it was a shock to us. We, we did Late Night with Jimmy Fallon mm-hmm. in 2012. Yeah. So that was our second year in. Yeah. And uh, again, I don't think the material was any good, but uh, it was. Yeah. A, it, it, people... I feel like our our material from a uh, it just it was surface level. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like it didn't really go into like core issues that I think we can mine for humor. Like we didn't really delve into a lot of the shit that we uh, talked about, and I felt like that was part of the problem. But I I felt like it was presented very well, mm-hmm. and that's good. 
but at the same time, like you have to, you want to grow as a comic. Like you, you don't want to stay a certain, like look at Chappelle. When he first started, he was a little bit more in the Def Jam mold. And, mm-hmm. you know, he was a bit more, he, he just wasn't who he is now. 30 years in, he's perfected the craft. I mean, mm-hmm. that's only because he kept challenging himself. He's an incredible storyteller. Oh, man. Yeah. You can't. Brilliant like, storyteller. I'm, I'm, I'm good at going to, to see a set and picking out some of the best jokes, mm-hmm. and I can retell those jokes. Mm-hmm. You can't retell Chappelle because no. it has to be a whole 30-minute yeah. setup, yeah. diversion, yeah. callback, yeah. and then the other it's, part of the story. I mean, yeah. like, how it's do you— intricate. It's, it's very intricate. It's very complex. Intricate. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, he's a, he's like Mark Twain almost. Yeah. I mean, I know he just won the award, but just, like, his ability to yep. to weave in different uh, narratives into a story, I mean, it's— yeah. I mean, it's groundbreaking. What he talks about, like, and the struggle and what it's like to be a young African-American, uh, he's— He's now not young anymore, but he 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 started that trend of just like really uh, honing in on those issues for young black men, and and I don't know. He's but just he doesn't perfect. fall back on that. It's hard to be no. black. No, no, no. I mean, no, no. even if he's doing like no. you know the crack baby, yeah, yeah, or yeah, yeah, the crack yeah, yeah. selling baby on a corner, it's still not like oh, it's so hard. Like the I mean, a lot of that Def Jam stuff. I got real tired of it, right? And the yeah, comic what was that like? stuff. What was yeah, that? I mean, like, I, I, we we consumed it, but I mean, you had to like you went through it, and you had to intellectualize it. Yeah, you had to try yeah, yeah. to understand. Was it ever like a point where you're like, this, this just not gonna last? Like the Def Jam stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I mean, I think it got tiring really fast. There were obviously some some extraordinary people who go on there without a doubt. Um, who was the sister who like ripped off her wig and was like, we're going to go beat up the guy who beat up my girlfriend and we're riding in the truck. And like, you know, I mean like, and that was like, wow, like that was extraordinary. But a lot of them were like one step above comic view, right? Mm -hmm. Black people are like this. Mm -hmm. White people are like that. You know, Um, you know, I always love the, the acts that were like left field. Yes. The ones that were just eccentric. You know, but then, of course, somebody would come out. I mean, like the infamous Bernie Mac routine. Course, yeah. I ain't scared of you, motherfuckers. Yeah, which was just so greatest. much power. Yeah. And just, I mean, and like, it was so well constructed. I kept coming back to that note. I ain't scared of you, motherfuckers. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and apparently part, that was improv. I, mean, he did, he, I know. Yeah, that's yeah, so crazy about it. And, 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 and it goes, the, sort of the, the value of the ego uh, presentation sure, on sure. stage of like, ah, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, you know, I'm stronger, I'm badder. I mean, yeah. like, he, that, I mean, some of them were extraordinary, but a lot of them would be like, come on, now you again. There were mm-hmm. just so many people who are not imaginative. Mm-hmm. Um, but Chappelle, man, I mean, nobody is a storyteller like Chappelle. No, I mean, He's, maybe Richard, yeah. but other than Richard Pryor, I don't know if there's yeah. another comedian out there who could who can tell See, that's interesting because stories. true, um, but Richard, you learned about his life. Precisely. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was, he From went, he the, went there. The childhood yeah, yeah, yeah. to the, the, this, you know, to what's going on in the hospital yeah, and how yeah, it yeah. felt when they put the sponge on. Chappelle, you everything. don't know, you know, like Chappelle in quotes, he does not talk about himself, mm, his yeah. real self. He started talking, I mean, he talked a little bit about his dad in the last special, which mm-hmm. was something which was a revelation. It's like, he's never talked never. about his dad like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. So that was shocking to see. Yeah. Uh, but you're right. Richard Pryor was certainly more uh, biographical. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean yeah. even what Chris Rock did in Tambourine. Oh, yeah. 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 Was, which was not his funniest Ex- special. You mean but, the, the, the second part of Tambourine? 
Yeah, 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 yeah where yeah, Chris yeah. Rock is talking mm-hmm. about why he got divorced. Mm-hmm. I love that. That it, it, it's not the funniest, but it's dark. That he's and done, it's but it's dark and yeah. it's real. It's the most. It's, it's the most far real. more honest than anything Chappelle has done. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... Which is not to take anything away from Chappelle, but he's not telling us about his real life. You don't hear too much about Chappelle's real life. I mean, he talks a little bit about his son. He yeah. talks a little bit about his dad in his last special, but mm-hmm. I mean, for like the most his part... His kid and his wife are props mm-hmm. in the act. You, you know? can tell it's, in, it's he's embellishing for narrative purposes. Yeah. And I think that that's what's like... He he, do, he does that better than anyone else. Like yeah. I, don't, I don't think anyone can match that. Uh, he he can tell a story like no one else. But when Rock finally went dark and deep and and it was like it's a revelation. It was crazy. It was crazy. It blew me away. Yeah, yeah. it blew yeah. me away. Yeah, I was at one of those tapings and it was a good thirty minutes that weren't really that funny. But you were on the edge of your seat. Yeah, yeah. he pulled the mask off. Yeah, yeah he, he pulled, pulled it the off. Mask yeah, off. yeah. yeah. And that's what we, I mean, ultimately that's what you're trying to do, right? Just get them to sit in the edge of their seat, yeah. right? As a comedian, yeah, that's what you, you want to do. You want to be able to surprise the audience. And I think that's what Rock did. I mean, mm-hmm. he figured out a way. And that's that's what's great about uh, comedians who are getting older. They're, they're still finding ways to, to surprise audiences. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think comedy is one of, one of the few uh, uh, forms of entertainment where... As you get older, I think you get better. You get mm-hmm. wiser. Yeah. Uh, when you're young, you're still just it's a lot of surface level stuff. But yeah. as you get well, older, you can tell Chappelle doesn't care. Like he, <laughs> he has nothing to prove anymore. Like right. he has nothing to prove. I think when you're younger, you're like, I got to prove that I'm the best. He knows he is. I mean, Chappelle's whole bit about Cosby and that <laughs> yeah. what was it the age of spin? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you know, you know, I'm not, <laughs> what was it? What was the thing? He's like, he he saves. But he rapes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or he raves, but he saves. Yeah. But he still rapes. Yeah. That's real shit. Yeah. <laughs> and he paid for the machine that Dr. King yeah. gave all this ad. Like, oh my God. <laughs> but if you still cut off 40 rapes, he still got a lot of fucking rapes. <laughs> God damn. Just killing it. Yeah. What are so tell, talk about some of the bits or some of the some of the stand-up moments like that like we're talking like tambourine mm-hmm. but like that have really like stuck with you like yo that is a high point of the form oh yeah just from other comedians yeah i would say uh richard Pryor's uh his uh lsd bit on what what album is that i forget the album what the album what is the lsd bit where he he it's, it's he's taking lsd for the first time a white guy gives it to him and uh okay. he just starts like oh that shit ain't doing nothing to me and then he just he just descends into madness and he and then it he goes into like a space odyssey riff and i'm like this is next level next level like like this is like the you can't do this anywhere else but what he's doing right now and it's like it it totally blew my mind yeah i just heard this one bit uh from eddie griffin (laughs) what i think is completely underrated Mm -hmm. uh but he he says something about because we went on this like a Tupac, Biggie. Oh, yeah, uh, we've been obsessed. We just got obsessed with it. And yeah. he, he he hit it on the nose. He was like, gangster gangster rap is an oxymoron. <laughs> you can't be a gangster and be a rapper. Yeah. Because to be a gangster, you have to 
move in silence. Right. Yeah. But as a rapper, all you do is fucking talk. Yeah. <laughs> all you do is talk about <laughs> shit. And I was like, yeah, that's that's the insight that I was looking for. Like, how it, gangster rap doesn't make any sense. Yeah, <laughs> gangsters don't talk because they, they're, they're committing crimes. <laughs> Why would they talk openly about you know, that shit? What are my favorite now they're doing it, lines in all of hip hop? Is the Lil Wayne line about uh, real G's moving silent yeah. like lasagna? Yeah, <laughs> and I'm like, well, does he mean like as a English major, yeah, like yeah, the yeah. G is silent, yeah. or do you see like lasagna like actually moving yeah, down yeah, the street yeah. in That's silence? The of a like, Lil Wayne, That's a great know? metaphor. It's a fantastic, a silly <laughs> metaphor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Doesn't so make a lot of sense. But no, makes, it makes all the sense. It makes all the sense. That's what I'm gonna say. It makes all the sense. So wait, so what is the Pac and Big obsession? Man, so Pac died on our birthday, September 13th. September 13th. Uh, and Biggie released Ready to Die on our birthday, September, September 13th, 1994. And uh, the crime bill was passed. Crime bill was 1994, passed. 1994, September 13th. Yeah, yeah. So we've always like, and I'm a, I'm like a conspiracy nut. Like I, I was, I spent a year trying to figure out who killed Kennedy. Still haven't figured it out yet. Uh, <laughs> I think it was LBJ. I think it was LBJ. I think sure it was LBJ. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> so like it, the Biggie Tupac thing has everything. It has it has it's an intersection of yeah. It's assassination, you got hip hop, you got nineties culture, you got two of the greatest rappers to ever live. And so I, I I some part of me believes that I moved out to LA just to figure out what the fuck happened to to Biggie, because Biggie's my favorite and, rapper. Yeah, Biggie. Yeah, Biggie's my favorite rapper, and I, I I hate LA as a result of them killing Biggie. <laughs> uh, I really am upset by that. And uh, But then like LA also killed Tupac. Yeah. That's what's crazy. LA like, killed Tupac. He gave he showed mad love to LA and they, they just they, LA they gang culture no and they gang no killed him. So we, yeah, we, we're not saying anything about LA gang. No, we're fully, <laughs> we're fully on continue, both sides. Wanna be able to continue to go to LA? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got nothing but love for LA gangsters. All of them. All of them? <laughs> Blood, all of them. <laughs> All of them. Every All last of them. one of them. I am terrified of the motherfuckers. Wait, how I, old were you in 94? We were nine. Nine. Because, I mean, I remember all of that. Yeah. I mean, I lived through that. I was mm-hmm. covering this stuff when Crazy. it happened. I was at the Source Awards. No when fucking should way. That shit, should, yo, Big, because I was covering so Big. Fucking, that's I, crazy. He played uh, Who Shot You for yeah. me. I mean, you know, he's playing it for people like yeah. months before it came out. Yeah. So the notion that it was the, a, way before Pac was yeah. dead. So the notion that it was about Pac, I'm like, no, no, I heard that like yeah. three months ago. Like, no, no, no. Um, Nas told me that um, he met he met with Pac at the uh, MTV Awards. I heard the story. Yeah. And they were. He was like, "Yo, we got to come together and end this whole East West thing." Yeah. And like, okay. Let's. I'll be in Vegas. Oh, I'm going to Vegas. All right. Let's meet on Sunday. Wow. And we'll talk wow. and figure out what we're gonna do. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And then that Sunday, Saturday, night, Sunday morning, it yeah. happened to uh, Hawk. Yeah. So we, there was other tentacles of it that would have happened. Yeah, I heard that he was Tupac was he was starting to I don't know lose faith in the in in the West Coast gang shit, and mm-hmm. he wanted to try to bring people together, but. I don't know. I don't know. He yeah, still it's like it felt like face, everything. So. Yeah, wait. Well, he punched the dude in Vegas. That wish <laughs> well, he had never done that. I think like it's. I mean, you know, you're you're coming out of a Tyson fight. Yeah, yeah. At yeah, that yeah. moment, yeah, at that yeah. point in history, those fights were the biggest jolt of testosterone For sure. yeah. that you could have. You're marching out of a casino, which is yeah. also a testosterone jolt with Suge. Yeah. Right. You just got out of prison. Basically, you're trying to keep showing Suge at everybody. You are that. For sure. For yeah. sure. Yeah. I mean, like, I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised that you. I mean, you ever been to a fight? That is the most 
gendered moment in the world outside of a wedding, maybe, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. the men are like trying to be men and the yeah, women yeah, yeah. are women and like you feel it on 10 and like, yeah, yeah after you see Tyson like destroy somebody, you kind of want to like, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. I mean, I, it's, it, you know, and I, I remember, you know, after, um, after he got, after Big got shot, I mean, like everybody was nervous. Yeah. It was like, you know, do we move? Do we run? Yeah. Like, you know, what What do we do? Yeah. Because we're scared as hell. Yeah. Like, you know, it could happen. Who's next? Yeah. Because you didn't know where, you didn't know where it had come from. Yeah. So, you know, so I mean, like, who, you know, who's going to get shot next? Yeah. You know, Nas and Puff and them were like in LA, like, do we run to the airport? Do we <laughs> hide under the bed? Like, what are we going to do? It was all crazy because he comes out with Life After Death. And the last song on the, on the album is You're Nobody Until Somebody Kills You. <sighs> He's, he Sorry. releases going going back to Cali. I'm like, how the fuck? Like, it, did he want? To, did he know he was gonna die? Like, he was always terrified of that shit. And then the shit just happens, mm-hmm. and yeah. it just blows my mind. Yeah, he was already. They already had the casket. Yep, hearse <laughs> art. Yeah, yeah. Already, I mean, so yeah, it definitely was like if that was in a movie, you'd be like, yeah, right. yeah, it's too. This <laughs> like, screenwriter is taking some liberties. Yeah, it's coming. <laughs> no sure fucking way. Did. But it's real shit. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's ever happened since where a rapper perfectly times his death <laughs> to the point where he makes an album narrating his own death. It's very yeah. hard to do. It's yeah. very, very hard to do. Very it's, hard to do. Well, also the whole thing of like a million Pac song coming yeah, out yeah. after and Machiavelli and all that shit. The yeah. Hail Mary song. I mean, yeah. it was like this dude is, has predicted his death. Yeah. So top five rappers. I mean, it's a tough one. I mean, I was I just know, thinking about this. Hard. This is a tough one. This is like top five. Is like, why do you? Why do they keep that? singletons always with the ones? And the, <laughs> I, I think what, uh, do six is easier. Or no, two, I just. I mean, it's like I, I think you got to do it by era. But sure, whatever. If we do top five, I mean, you got to do Biggie, Tupac. Yeah, uh, I'm saying Jay Z because of longevity and sure. He's output, also great. And uh, great. Nas. Eminem? Eminem? Wow. Uh, wow. I like Eminem. No, man. no. Biggie, Tupac, Jay-Z, Nas. See, I would just, I mean, I love, I love Bone Thugs, you know? Mm-hmm. I know that people won't put them in the top five. Bone Thugs in the top five? Yeah, I know people I know, won't put them in the top five. Uh, but it's just for me, I like them. Uh, fuck. This is a tough one. Yeah, I think my four is set. It's Biggie, Tupac, Jay-Z, Nas. Mm-hmm. And then I got to pick a fifth one. Yeah, the fifth part of me is like Eminem because of longevity. Then you want to be like, maybe Kendrick. Kendrick, nigga maybe. got a Pulitzer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like you got to put him in the top yeah, five. Yeah. What other rapper has one? <laughs> who's, who's the top five comics? Top five comics. Stand-ups. Red Fox for stand up, not for movies, just for stand up. Red Fox, Red Fox, Richard, Pryor, Richard Pryor, Chappelle, Jay Chappelle, uh, Eddie Murphy, Eddie, Chris Rock. Wait, you put Red Fox ahead of? Pryor? Oh no, there's no order. No it's order. Just, yeah, yeah, no order. No, yeah, no order. But yeah. Red Fox definitely. But I feel like Pryor is considered Carlin, n- yeah, number Fox. one in his field, like more than Jordan is considered number one in basketball. Yeah, yeah, more yeah, than yeah. Tiger is like ninety nine percent think Tiger's yeah, the greatest yeah, yeah. golfer. A hundred percent are like Richard Pryor's Pryor. the greatest yep. stand up. Yeah. yeah. Change the form. That's what Chappelle would say. That's what Rock would say. Yeah. That's what Eddie would say. They would all and, put and uh, all the white people have to say it too. They have yeah. to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. They, some people make the case for Carlin. Carlin's great. Carlin's great. He was fantastic. Great. 
fantastic comedian. What, so what makes Pryor so great? Where's the influence? Well, I think uh, it's his ability to tell a story, but mm-hmm. it's also, uh, he went there, man. Like, yeah. he, he talked about, he talked about his issues more so than any other comedian Nothing was off the table for nothing was nothing off the table, was off for, the table for him. If it happened to him the day of, he was talking about it. Like if he blew himself up with a crack or whatever he did, <laughs> he's talking about yeah, it. He like, talked and, about and it. And most <laughs> most comics don't have that bravery that early in their career. Uh, yeah, he just went there. He went there like no other comic, and he was also a masterful joke writer and joke teller. Yeah, oh, what's yeah. the difference? Just in general, what's the difference between being good at this and being great at this? Well, I mean, I think. Uh, certain comedians can uh, weave together or put together. It's like a package almost like the the unicorn in basketball, like a person who's able to shoot threes, Mm -hmm. but also play defense. Mm -hmm. It's like with a comedian, like how can you, can you tell a story? Can you write a joke? And can can you perform perform it it at the level that no one else can perform it? Mm -hmm. So is this, and is there substance behind what you're saying? mm -hmm. You can always go up there and do substance in less uh, comedy, but are you talking about shit that's like relevant and of the time? And is it, like, transcendent? Like, mm-hmm. Red Fox's comedy, you can play that now, you're going to laugh. Mm-hmm. Like, his his comedy survived. Uh, you can take another comic from that time period, and you probably can't listen to him because I mean, it's, he was, like... Yeah, in the 50s, I mean, Red Fox was doing shit that, that we do now. Yeah. Um, and so I, I feel like Red Fox had that ability to not only tell a joke, but tell a timely joke that sort of... Uh, it can stand the test of time. Mm-hmm. And Richard Pryor was able to do that, but he, he also... Yeah, he took Red Fox's qualities and just multiplied them by, like, a hundred. Mm-hmm. He just... Yeah, he just went there. And you're seeing that with Chappelle. Yeah. Like, he has a little bit of Red Fox in him. He has a little bit of uh, Richard in him. Yeah, and, and Carl. Yeah, he, he, he's put his own spin to it as well, so... Mm-hmm. Who are the great black philosophers that you love? <laughs> mm-hmm. Kwame Appiah is fantastic. Kwame Appiah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Cornel West. Cornel West. W.E.B. Uh, Bois. Yeah. Um, I like Frederick Douglass. I would say he's a philosopher. I know he didn't I think really... Dr. King should Dr. be King. considered a philosopher. I think he, I he think studied he, philosophy. He was a big yeah. Hegel guy, right? He was well, a Hegel. that rate, okay, Franz Fanon. Franz Fanon, for, for without a doubt. Without a doubt. I mean, then would you consider Malcolm X a philosopher? Sure. Yeah. Sure. I mean, I would consider Malcolm... A, I mean, he was an intellectual for sure. Yeah. Uh, you to, can even consider Obama just based on his output. I mean, he's more political than he is philosophical, but he had some some qualities of a philosopher. Without a doubt. I think he may write another piece of material that will be more philosophical than political. You I would hope. nervous before you go on stage? Not anymore. No. No. I used, used to. to. <laughs> <laughs> used to. I used to uh, smoke now I don't and drink. And, like, I used to have to, I had to, I had to be hammered before I got on stage. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel comfortable to get on stage in the things that I do, but not being nervous at all makes me nervous hmm. in hmm. that I'm not taking the moment seriously. Enough. I mean, you feel shit in your stomach. You, you naturally. There's a, there are physical, there's a physical reaction, but now it's, it's not, it's not as mental as it used to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I just like, I tell myself, this is just a part of the process, right? Like, this is it. This mm-hmm. is this is what you've always wanted, mm-hmm. and now you got it. So appreciate the moment, mm-hmm. uh, and and try not to let the nerves take away from it. Mm-hmm. So if I wanted to be a comedian, I was a younger guy looking up to you. What's the advice? How do you how do you build to making it as a comic? I would say uh, love it, love the grind, love the process. Study it, study the history, mm-hmm. study the greats, and, and just love every second of it. Like never take. Never take the chance to stand on stage for granted, uh, and and never 
Yeah, never laugh at someone who's beneath you and, and never dismiss the advice of someone who's above you. Like, just really... Soak it all in. Soak I mean, it all it's in. A, it's Immerse a, yourself into the It's process. a crazy experience from the top to the bottom. I mean, uh, every aspect of it is is fairly dynamic. And uh, if you if you love it, then you'll find a way to make something uh, out of yourself. But that shouldn't be the, the goal, right? The goal mm-hmm. should be to, for me at least, and what I would tell others, the goal should be to... Uh, have have a great experience doing it and so long as you're because you're now doing comedy you're you're adding to the the history history, of comedy but whether you like it or not you're a part of the history and i think we owe a responsibility to uh everyone who's come before us to contribute positively to it and Mm -hmm. not try to diminish the, the the profound impact that comedy has on society like continue to add to it Mm -hmm. you know don't take away from it i usually ask everybody What's your superpower? Like, what is the thing that's special and unique about you that has allowed you to become successful? Uh, I think it's knowing that I am not powerful. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. I think it's the the knowing my limitations, knowing that uh, because I think that makes me more open to advice and more open to listening to others. I I, just being able to I'm we're I'm a sponge. I like Mm -hmm. to absorb absorb different uh information and keep my ears open and i love working with other people so mm-hmm. i think that that helps as well being collaborative mm-hmm. um and you know just appreciating every moment. learning yeah. learning is like something that i i can't stress how important it is just yeah. to be able to listen to someone say something that might be fruitful or just engaging to your intellectual growth i think that that makes me a stronger person without not more doubt. powerful but I think it makes me a stronger person thanks to Kenny and Keith for a great interview and thanks to you for listening Torrey Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined you can make your dreams a reality and this show can help I'm on Twitter at Torre and on Instagram at Torre Show. Please leave a review on iTunes. It really helps. And tell your friends about the show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jackie Garfano. Our editor is Ryan Woodhall. And our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shanta Covington. And we're distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back next Wednesday with another amazing guest because the man can't shut us down. <laughs>